Welcome back to Trope Stories, a show about photographers, creatives, dreamers, makers, entrepreneurs, and their personal journeys. I'm Terry Mayday, and on today's show is Lucy Hamidzada, a Southeast London photographer and writer. Her distinctive approach to street photography and real lives creates images that are complex and multi-layered, yet feel so effortless in their execution. In addition to capturing the image, she is a masterful storyteller, transporting the reader into the intimacy of the moment with empathy and an understanding of the human condition. And although many of her images contain two separate elements, when combined we are transported into a story, making you, as a viewer, double take. Instead of following visual trends, Lucy set out to create them, and through this a compelling artist with an authentic voice has arisen. Traveling and an innate curiosity of people runs through Lucy's veins and we see this in her work. From London to Morocco, Italy to India, Lucy's unique sensibilities have created an extensive body of work that is both vulnerable and accessible. Lucy's work has appeared in Trope's award-winning London City Edition, as well as her own solo book, Unfinished Stories, part of Trope's Emerging Photographer series. This is her story. Hey Lucy, welcome to the show, good to see you. Good to see you too, Terry, how are you? Doing great. I'm super excited to talk to you about your emerging photographer series book called Unfinished Stories. But first, I see on social media that you have some pretty big news to share. Yeah, so my dad had his vaccine about four weeks ago. And then my mom had hers two weeks ago, which I gate crashed and I managed to get the vaccine too. So it was pretty amazing. How did that feel? I saw the picture of your dad. We've been building up to this for a year. What what did that feel like for, you know, three out of the four of you and your family to get the shot? Yeah, it was pretty emotional. I'm I'm not going to lie. It was for me because more emotional for me than for dad, I think, because it was just that feeling of him having a little bit of protection and you know, it was it's quite a momentous occasion, I felt. Right. And and you're in London and you're in a seemingly never ending lockdown number three now. Have you found any silver linings? Have you established any new traditions along the way here? Yeah, I mean, lockdown, this lockdown has, has been harder. I think lockdown three, mm. three, because I think we're all a bit fatigued with everything. But it's just been, I think, a blessing for me just being at home with my parents and my brother James. And um, just being able to look after mum and dad, um, going out and doing the errands and, and just making sure that they're safe. Um, but in amongst all of that, we've uh, we've kind of, we've spent a lot more time, we've grown closer and we were already a close family, um, but we have right. grown closer. And um, we've kind of like set up this like 11 a.m. ritual of having a coffee and a sit down. James is working, so it's just me, mum and dad. Um, and pretty much every day we'll stop and have coffee at, uh, they'll have tea or have coffee um, about 11 o'clock. There's a jigsaw on the table pretty much constantly at the moment because mom loves doing a jigsaw. And we'll just sit and have a chat. <laughs> That's very sweet. I mean, do you find yourself, you know, being able to ask questions in a different way because life has clearly slowed down and we're not in our busy, normal, hectic lives? Yes, I think. I mean, I'm usually out shooting. I mean, if I'm not at my desk or I'm not going for a walk, I'm usually out shooting, especially at a weekend. Weekends have changed for me totally. 
Um, mm. And so we have had more meaningful conversations um, about just about life, breaking news. If something happens in the news, we'll talk about it. Or just momentous kind of news stories from around the world. We'll stop and we'll have a chat about them. Mm. Even momentous occasions within your own family. You discovered uh, a, clearly an incredible anniversary of your own dad's that you were unaware of. Can you tell us about your your dad coming from Iran 50 years ago? Yeah, so um, this came up actually, it was in March of last year. And I think it was all around, it was around the time of I think most, a lot of families or a lot of people discussing Black Lives Matter. And that got me asking dad about his, when he came over to London and when he was super mm. young in 1971. And just his, how he felt um, coming from a Middle Eastern country, not speaking that much English. And I mean, we're from a mixed family. So right. for me, I was mm. interested to see if he'd had any issues of him coming to London and how he felt about different culture and different people. And so we, I just was asking him about what it was like for him when he first arrived in London. And he, right. he wasn't quite sure, he, he knew the year, so he said it was 1971 and I was like, oh wow, next year it's going to be 50 years. That's pretty cool. That's amazing. He didn't, he's, he's, he wasn't that bothered. <laughs> um, and I said to him, like, what day is it? I feel like we have to mark this occasion. And he's like, I can't remember. It was, it was cold. Um, but then I went digging around and I found his little um, cigar box that he's got um, some little memories in. And I found his like landing, landing card or his papers and documents. Wow. And, uh, and pictures of him, because we, no, we don't have any pictures of him when he was a little boy because mm. he, um, his family home in Abadan was um, destroyed during the war and bombed. So we, we don't have any fo photos of him as a baby. Um, and so I found this photo of him. I think he was probably 18 or 19, like silky smooth skin, no beard. Because when he, when he came to London, like not long after he'd met my mum, he grew a beard. So he looked very Middle Eastern. Um, so he was like really young looking. So that was pretty cool. So, and yeah, so it was the 20th of January, 1971 that he came over. Wow, that is, that is a gift to even have discovered that all these years later and for, for him to be reminded of those early yeah. days. Yeah. So he, he leaves Iran and he leaves the oil industry behind. He was working in the oil industry in Iran. He pursues or comes to the UK to pursue a healthcare career. What, what do you know about the early days of, of your mom and dad, you know, meeting and starting to date? Yeah, so they met nursing, they were both nursing. Mum remembers asking him for um, an album track from David Essex. And she'd seen my dad around <laughs> okay. the nursing, she'd seen him around the nursing um, quarters and uh, she wasn't quite sure about him at first, but she wanted, I think she wanted to get to know him. And so that's how they met in the nursing in the nursing quarters. And because my dad was, um, he's Muslim. He's not a practicing Muslim, but my mom is a practicing Christian. So the two of okay. them meeting, I, I know caused quite a bit of controversy in the family back then. It seems like, you know, religion continues to be the great unifier or perhaps even the great divider. 50 years ago, when you think about you know, the two of them coming together and all of a sudden each family has their impression of a Muslim and what a Christian is like. And have they shared any of those stories with you? 
Yes, I, I know mum said there was lots of tears when she when she was talking to her parents and my grandma and granddad about meeting my dad and, and falling in love with him. Um, and I know it did cause a little bit of friction maybe in the family. But then mum introduced dad to my grandma and granddad and her grandma. And my dad's quite, he's quite easygoing. Um, and they fell in love with him. But um, I do remember my mum said that she, the first time that they met, my grandma asked my dad if he wanted some fruit from the fruit bowl and he picked a lemon and then started to peel a lemon and eat it which they thought was so weird and that's one of the <laughs> I, I just remember it even now I've seen, he sometimes has a lemon or he'll lick a lemon like when it's open and I'm like oh and mum will be like oh I remember when your dad first did that when you first met your, your grandma and granddad <laughs> wow very he's a very distinguished unique gentleman I'll say that <laughs> I, th I think that that says a lot though about you know, we hope that the world has changed and evolved in, in regards to acceptance across the world and across all conversations. But I guess it, it speaks a lot to your mom's family, I think, to accept him with open arms after meeting him for the first time and, and putting whatever label aside and then choosing to love him, I think, speaks volumes of your family and your family's history and certainly yeah. your your mom and dad coming together it really is a beautiful story yeah i mean my dad was like the son that they never had um and he never he never went back to iran until he was in his 60s and his mom and dad died long before then like the last time he saw his mom and dad was in 1978 when i was born um so my grandma and granddad became his mom and dad um for so like for most of his life and wow and uh when my granddad, my grandma died when I was quite young, um, but my granddad died about 10 years ago. But towards the end of his life, he came to live with us quite a bit. And my dad was more patient than what my mom was with my granddad and more, more than what I was. <laughs> so um, he became, you know, they became, they had this little bond between the two of them, which is really lovely. Very sweet. So Lucy, you're in a neighborhood called Lewisham, about a 30 minute train ride from the city center of London or so. And you live with your mom and dad and your lovely brother, James, who we know quite well. I have to say when we filmed with you in London and you and your mom and dad and James were so gracious with their hospitality, inviting us in and giving us uh, a little bit of a break from the, the cold London streets of filming for 14 hours a day and coming in for a, a delicious meal. Tell us a little bit about the neighborhood. I mean, are you are you choosing to commute into the city? Are you shooting in Lewisham these days? During some of like the earlier lockdowns, I did I did go into the city a couple of times, but it was so it wasn't the city that I knew. It was just devoid of life. I mean, there were people around, but it just it didn't. It just was lifeless. And I love people. I I thrive on taking photos of people. So it was. It right. made me feel sad seeing empty cafes, mm. empty empty streets. Um, so I just recently during this last lockdown, I've I've been into London once, but I've tended to shoot locally in Lewisham, and I love it. Um, I've discovered a new love of my local area. I love just going to the market and just listening to the market traders shout like a pound a bowl <laughs> and just listening <laughs> to people. I'll stand at the bus stop and take pictures of people, but being mindful, I'm, I'm aware of people. I don't want to get too close. 
And right. I'm just very, very aware when I'm shooting now. I'm sure. And that's what I was going to ask you is how has COVID changed the way that you do shoot? Mm -hmm. It's it's harder. It's you've I've, you've just got to be so mindful of people around you. You don't. I don't ever want to upset mm. anybody when I'm shooting. Even before COVID, right, I didn't want to upset anyone. You don't want to intimidate them. You don't want to make them anxious because we're all going through this weird headspace and there's nobody around. So if you are near a couple of people, they're going to think, why? <laughs> why is this girl standing so close? Um, and I noticed that right. I was standing behind somebody the other week at a bus stop. They had the most amazing hands. And I was getting closer and he was moving away. And I was thinking, I was getting, and the more I was getting closer, the more he was just like, what is she doing? <laughs> because there was all this right. space to stand and I was choosing to stand close to him. Well, there's, there's more space to stand, but there's less distractions. So people are just hyper aware yeah. of why yeah. is someone approaching me? So has that, has that influenced you know, lens choices and things like that to give you more distance? Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I my 55 millimeter lens was like, it was on my camera all the time. Mm. I very rarely take it off, but um, I've switched to an 85, probably in the summer of last year because I realized that I couldn't okay. get close to people. So the 85 just allows me to be where I would have stood but just have, you know, it, you can get closer to someone. It's transformed the way. I'm, I'm so happy with that lens now. I don't think I'll take that off for a long time. So let, let's back up a little bit, even before your photography journey. Let's talk about your first uh, job as an adult in the travel industry, right? Yep, yep. So I did my work experience, actually, for um, a tour operator. And whilst I was there, I was interested in this department called the brochure department. And, okay. the, and so um, they gave me this little job. It was a really, really like a small job of just brochure assistant. And that involved looking at pretty pictures all day. <laughs> um, and they were just, they were, they were the, the team that produced brochures, produced holiday brochures. Over the years, I became more involved um, in the department um, and by the time I left I was senior content creator because we had the addition of the web and so brochures right. be weren't as important even though they were still very important and it was and that job was involved in just selecting images for the brochure and writing um, say a hotel description or something to go with the images that would influence how somebody um, selected a holiday. So you were you were promoting and, and glamorizing destinations to help sell those to travel agents. Yes, yeah. To, oh, and to the public. Okay. And at this job, I mean, how did you? How would you describe yourself at this time of your life? How do you think people saw you? Um, I was very shy. I think I mm. don't think there was any getting away from how shy I was. Um, I I just got I just went to work, knuckled down, and did my job. It, it was also, I mean. I also had an eating disorder from when I was in my late teens right through my 30s. So, I, and I don't, nobody mm. at work knew that. Um, so I was coming to terms with that and dealing with that, but also just going to work and doing my job. And I was quiet. Um, I just got on Okay. You were quite yeah. reserved. And do yeah. you think part of that quiet, shy personality did that? Did that prevent you from taking steps forward or providing input or having having a real voice in the room? Yes, because 
I was afraid of making a fool of myself if I spoke out, even though I had these ideas. I just, I was just scared of letting them out. There was just this fear that I might be laughed at, or I didn't. I hated attention, um, and my surname mm. also brought attention anyway. So. Um, I just didn't like any kind of attention back then. I was super shy. So when when you would hear Hamid Zada, mm -hmm. you didn't like you didn't like that being called out. You didn't like hearing it. You mean in school or or at in work? In school and at work. I mean, I I know that people would they, everyone would say it differently. Even then, it was. I think it's quite easy, but some people probably don't. But <laughs> I, some I, I know that some some people in because we were in a travel industry with. Um, offices overseas and I know that I got called ham sandwich <laughs> so, because people couldn't say my name so I and I hated the attention that it brought but and now I love it <laughs> like, um, it's a great I, I love your name as well so when you were when you were searching for visuals and you sort of I think discovered the power of photography during these early days at this job but this is also where you developed your writing skills and I think sort of combine the two of them or maybe that was the the start of that I think so I mean looking back now I I definitely think so I mean an image sells um a holiday but having those powerfully constructed beautiful words to go with that image is a deal breaker for somebody selecting a holiday over a different holiday um so I definitely think that's where my writing and like a lot of the photography just looking at images and um putting the two together i i think that did influence maybe the way that i how i work now i'm not sure looking back at it i think so maybe at the time i wouldn't have understood that you're well known as a photographer and a writer how important is writing to your craft and, and how would you describe your writing style writing for me is just another layer of storytelling um of the people mm. that I see and, and it's also it's me stepping into their story and interpreting what I think and feel that the person that I'm taking a photo of is thinking and feeling and mm. um, I think it's just another way for me of expressing myself I don't I wouldn't say I'm a poet I don't think so um, I'd say I was more of a storyteller or just good with words I would agree. <laughs> I, it's just another layer of storytelling. And I, and I think I, what I want people to, when they're looking or reading my work, is I want them to think and feel what I was thinking um, or feeling when I pressed the shutter and whether they feel, think or feel the same thing. And that sparks an interest or just it connects with them or it doesn't connect with them and they have a totally different story that they're seeing from re either reading and looking at the image. Do you have an example that you can share of, you know, a really beautiful image of yours that you love, as well as a strong caption that you think tells a nice story together? Yes, um, I think it's on page 16. I'm um, no, page 15, sorry. I would love to hear you read it more, more so than me. <laughs> okay. I'm not really sure I like the portrait of you that I'm seeing, because it's not the portrait that you once painted for me. In your lines, you were someone to love. So in my mind, you were also someone to love. However, in reality, you were a completely different story when I got you figured out. That's great. And I think part of it is, it's just a little window. You're not trying to provide a life story. You're trying mm -hmm. to just give a little bit of an angle, a little bit perhaps even romantic 
idea mm -hmm. of what somebody is thinking. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And I think as well, like each one of us will use our past experiences um, when we're going to interpret an image. And then I think we'll, we'll interpret into emotions and then into words. So for whoever's looking at it, they'll look at it and they'll, they'll use that past experience, whether it's good or bad, to, to interpret that image and then put it into words. If that makes sense. It does make sense. And I do love the dimension that, that the words bring to an image. Because for me and my reading capabilities, it's just enough to give me a little bit of a story and a little bit of a window into, into this person's life. Lucy, let's talk about travel. I think even mentioning the word travel takes on new, new meaning uh, for all of us these days. Mm -hmm. What do you remember about when you first started traveling and you started to develop this artistic creative eye and you're able to look at the world and capture the world in a new way and you had your camera on the streets with you in in Italy or Porto or wherever you were what do you remember about those first few trips that you started to take yeah I mean for me especially solo I love solo travel um for me that was just a, a whole different way of seeing the world just on my own um, and again, being shy, going on my first solo trip was is a big thing for me. Um, and for sure. Yeah, just, I don't know, there's just this freedom of going somewhere that you don't know with your camera, somewhere that, you know, is not familiar. And I, I just, lo I love that moment being on the plane and just, you don't know what you're going to find when you, you land. <laughs> um, and... It's just the freedom, and you feel like you're just a small part of something much bigger. Um, and just everything's just heightened when you travel, like the smells, the sound, the people. Yes, um, I agree. And I, I miss that. I miss it so much. Um, oh, I know. I miss it dearly as well. And I think, I think it's interesting to think about you going by yourself. I mean, I think the security blanket of having a friend or someone that you could travel with would help you make decisions and, and bounce ideas off of, but you chose to go by yourself on purpose. I mean, wh why did you do that? I think, again, that was just a confidence. When I'm with someone else, I'll let them make the decisions. Um, and when I'm on my own, I'm the only one that has to make those decisions of getting from A to B. Hmm. And it, again, That's a great it was point. Just, it was just the confidence um, for me. On my, my first trip, I went to somewhere that I'd already been to with my mum years ago. Um, so it felt familiar. And I just remember that feeling of just being free to do whatever I wanted on my on my own terms, getting up, at, going for sunrise, getting up early, um, eating ice cream all day if I wanted to, um, <laughs> going to bed at 6, 8, 6 p.m. if I wanted to so I could get up for sunrise. And no one was telling me what to do. Um, or there was, and there was no places that, you know, no constrictions on where I was going and what I was doing. It was just me free to walk and do whatever I want. And I just loved it. Um, and I, I went on my first trip, I think it was maybe in like April time. And then as soon as I came back from that, I booked two more trips in the same year on my own. <laughs> just because I loved it, it was that feeling. Um, it was liberating and it still is liberating. And I learned something about myself every time I go away on my own. Yes, and lots of epic travel stories involve food and 
amazing locations. And one of your epic travel stories involves a climb to the top of a mountain <laughs> in <laughs> Edinburgh. Can you share that story? Yes, and this I wasn't even my own for this one, so I blamed it on somebody else. <laughs> there you go, exactly. <laughs> and and, it, and I'm calling it a mountain because it felt like a mountain. So me and a friend, my friend Andrew, we went to Edinburgh for a couple of days. And it was in, you know what, it was the same day that, 20th of January, so it's the same day my dad came to England so many years ago <laughs> that I, oh, I went wow. up a mountain. I know, it's so weird, it's spooky. Um, so my cool. friend, we went up to Arthur's Seat and it's a hill, it's not even a mountain, but it's a mountain to me. And it was a bit icy and um, we got so close to the top and I just took a wrong footing. We put our cameras away luckily um, about five minutes before um, the major incident. Um, and I just slipped and smashed my, my left shoulder and broke it really badly. <laughs> if anyone was going to oh break anything gosh. badly, it was me. <laughs> And uh, I had to be mountain rescued down from this mountain. <laughs> and I'm laughing, it's not even funny. <laughs> no, it's not that funny. Very painful, actually, because you still have a plate in there now, don't yes, you? Yes, yeah. Um, I'm better on flat ground and with people and not scenery. <laughs> there you have it. See, but like you said, you learn something about yourself every time, right? Exactly, yep. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Lucy, before we jump into the book, I want to um, include a couple questions that came in from Instagram. This first one comes from fellow photographer, Al Batla, AKA Mr. Whisper, of course, who asks, what inspires your work? Yeah, um, I'm people. I've got this innate fascination of people um, and how we mm. interact with each other, how we interact with, or how we are when we're on our own. It's just the curiosity of, of people, just how we're all so different and we've all got a story, whether it's good, bad, happy, sad, and, uh, and a good photo is, is just a part of, you know, taking a picture and, and of that story, it's just a little part of somebody's story. So yeah, people. No doubt. The second question comes from Chris Holmes, also known as Brixton Pistol, who asks, what technique did you practice most to be able to get such candid, genuine images. Again, I'm going to say that linked in with um, Bao's question. It's a really good question. Um, mm. And again, it's just the observation of observing people without even shooting, just spending time just observing my surroundings and the people around me, whether that's at home in London or, or how we seem so thoughtful um, and just how we go about daily life. Um, because it's, it's it street photography is just daily life with the least amount of acting and it's amazing and so yeah observing no kidding and you do so much of your observing you love windows you love reflections i promise not to give away your your favorite canvases or locations that you do all your great work with but there's a line in the beginning of the book on page 11 that talks about this and kind of sets the scene. And I'm, and I'm curious now here during the pandemic, coffee shops and cafes are perfect places to observe people. I am fascinated by peering into windows and looking to see what is occurring behind the glass. You're not even able to do that right now. And yeah. what part of you is missing by not being able to fulfill that for yourself? 
Oh, I miss it. I mean, that, those those shots, the, the ones that I find, I love the most. I love taking them. I love standing at that coffee shop for hours in all kinds of weather um, and just peering and just peering through that glass. And I, I find them the, the ones that I love to write about the most as well. There's one particular window that I go to all the time. If I'm in London, it's the one place that I'll I'll go back to, and it, and, this, and especially I, I went back to it after I'd done my shoulder just to see if I could take a photo still <laughs> because I wasn't sure. <laughs> um, and uh, it's and it came through point. for you. It came, yes. <laughs> I'm just hoping that they never Good. get rid of my favorite window, um, which no, they're picture. not allowed to move that. <laughs> they're not allowed to move that without no. your permission. Because yeah. <laughs> it's the place that if I go away um, from London or if I feel demotivated in London shooting because going traveling, you know, is, is great to get away from London because I, I find that I miss London when I'm away. Um, and so it's the first place that I'll go back to um, to take some shots. So I, I miss that window. Can you try to describe the difference between just, you know, scrolling on a little mobile phone versus having your work displayed in a in a gallery at beautiful scale and people are there to view the work what are the differences in that experience i think you spend more time looking at um, something that is it's been, it's been printed or you, you'll spend more time flicking through a book or you'll go back to you'll go back to an image in a book or if you've got it printed out um, rather than right. scrolling because scrolling you just, and I don't think some people, you don't tend to look at an image on your phone for as long as you do if it was in a book. It's longer lasting, I think, and it leaves more mm. of an impression. I wanna talk about just the approach and the technique. I'm curious how you get the reflection shots. Is this all in camera? Are there editing techniques that you bring in as part of it? It's all in camera, um, so it's just one shot <laughs> um, of wow. the person walking past. All, the, all of the layers are captured in camera. All yes. of that texture is in camera. Yeah, I wouldn't know wow. how to do it in Photoshop. So. <laughs> <laughs> then that's going to mean that you're hanging out these windows for quite some time to get the right yeah. mix mm -hmm. of people passing and crossing yeah, and the right and the, layers, right? Yeah, and the right kind of light. So if it's too sunny, I know that it's not worth it. So yeah, it's a lot of time. Let's jump into page 16. Speaking of a beautiful window shot with great texture and layers. This is a great image here, and I want to read the short caption here, Lucy. Mm -hmm. Do you remember when we watched the sunset? You hugged me so tight you would never let me go. Now it's all just a memory. So who who was saying that? I'm me. Um, I think sometimes with my work, it's what I think the person is feeling or thinking. But in this one, it was me. I remember feeling quite sad when I was taking this picture of this lady and she I thought she mm. was she was looking at or she was remembering something it's like she's looking for a memory with the guy walking past she was just to me she stepped into his story and he stepped into hers and I'm stepping into both of them on page 21 Lucy another great example of powerful image and a really nice poignant caption would you mind just reading the words and then describing the photograph? Yeah. 
It's been months since I last felt your touch, but it feels like it was only yesterday. I remember the way you looked into my eyes and the way you whispered goodbye. Um, so with her, I just felt like she was looking back at the man that was walking past and he was saying goodbye. Um, but at one point he did look into her eyes. So a bit of a romantic kind of feel. Moving ahead to page 50. This is just a striking image of this woman and I want to read the words on the opposite page. Just a random moment, a daily situation which quite often remains unseen. I want to feel close to the person in front of the camera, but in an intimate way. So where are you and how did you capture this shot? Yeah, so this shot was taken in, in Granada in Spain. Um, okay. Um, so this was, I think this was the Moorish Quarter and it's like a market street. Um, and I was stood next to this the guy that you can see and he was on his phone um, So I was kind of I thought I was hiding um, And I saw this girl and she was having a little mini photo shoot with her friend But the light was just beautiful and I'm, mm. I think she's looking at me um, And the smoke and <laughs> I think just, you were trying to hide but I, I think, think she found you <laughs> I think she spotted me um, <laughs> Even though the man's hand is up looking at his phone, she's like looking straight through. Turning over to page 54, I love the expression on this little dude's face. Yeah, um, so this was on um, a train um, just as the doors were closing. You're peering in and you're, you're not on the train. Mm -hmm. You're on the platform at the tube station. Yeah. But who knows, seconds later, those doors close and that moment's gone. Yeah. To me, that shows right away that you have to be patient and wait for the moment, but then you have to be decisive in the moment. Yeah, and I think almost observing the whole time, just always looking, um, and sometimes just anticipating maybe what's going to happen. Um, right, exactly. And just I hoping around, that something's yeah, going to happen. Yeah, I walk around with my finger on the shutter like all the time, even if I'm just walking down the street. Usually, my hands just resting. <laughs> So yes, yeah, so I'm sometimes, ready. I'm yeah. ready. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, sometimes it's anticipating what's going to happen if you see someone that's interesting. There's another great example of exactly what we're talking about on pages 60 and 61. If you're saying that you're always ready, to me, the image on the left on page 60, it's a, it's a nice, pleasant conversation, but it is anticipation. Mm -hmm. That's not the moment. No. But then we get to page 61. No, I think that's just one of those anticipating, you know, seeing this guy looking at his girlfriend and just and just waiting and not knowing that he was going to move in for the kiss, but anticipating that something was going to happen. Which means then when you get into the tube, let's say you've spent time on the street and your camera settings are set for daylight and there's a lot of light, even when it's not sunny out, there's tons of light, available light. Mm -hmm. on, at street level. Then you get to the tube level underground and it's really dark and now you're actually on the train. So you have to in advance, right? I mean, you're preparing your settings. Yeah. 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 Changing the settings. Usually I change them before I get down into the tube um, so that I'm ready. Right, because you don't want that moment to present itself when you're trying to change your settings and mm -hmm. you're like, no, and don't kiss yeah. <laughs> Don't let the doors close. 
Right, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Ages 88 and 89. I, I just love this widescreen composition here, Lucy. Again, Again. <laughs> looking right at you. You think that you're being stealth back there, but mm -hmm. they keep finding you. Yeah. But the eye contact does create a story, though. I always try and look for a frame so that it gives that layer and it just brings your eye to the main part of the image. But um, but it also tells another story with the two girls like on either side. Um, and yeah, she just saw me. This was on um, Regent Street in London. On page 97, there's, again, a great example of a really powerful image with some great verbiage that sets it up. Can you read the words for us and, mm -hmm. and then just, just tell us the story of this image? Yeah. Um, every nanosecond of every day all over the world, stories are being played out in front of us, all going untold. But are they? When your imagination takes over, you can put yourself behind the camera and imagine the scene. So this image um, was in Rome. And I remember seeing the shadows and the light was amazing. And the wall is a really, it's a beautiful terracotta color. And it wasn't until afterwards and someone else actually pointed it out that he's mimicking the uh, lamppost um, <laughs> as he's going along. And I just loved right. it in black and white. I just thought it was, uh, yeah, I just love black and white. So he's perfect. We've clearly seen a theme in your work with a lot of reflections, utilizing windows to create the reflection and get those layers. But there's also a consistent theme with hands. And I guess, what is it about people's hands that you love to shoot? Again, there's just this beautiful story that can be told through somebody's hands without showing their face. Um, I think you can imagine all kinds of stories that that person is, or their life, there's like the life through their hands. I love standing behind someone and, and taking pictures of their hands and then, then just imagining without even having seen them, what they're like, um, and perhaps just imagining what they've been through in life. They're beautiful, like the texture of someone's skin, the age of someone's hands, mm. um, the way we hold carrier bags. I mean, at the minute I'm fascinated in Lewisham just because it's a market area, and just people, the way they coil carrier bags in their fingers. You know, some people hold it with one finger. Um, some of them are kind of like coiled between their fingers. Um, I'm fascinated by it. I agree with you, Lucy. My, my father, Lloyd, had incredible hands. He was a mechanic for 50 years and he worked on cars. Mm -hmm. And so you talk about having a story to tell. He was, you know, one of the hardest working guys on the planet, and he just had incredible hands that told the story of, of just strength mm -hmm. and endurance and all the ability and skill that he had. And I have to say, I'm embarrassingly um, unremarkable, so please do not. You can skip my hands, that's for sure. <laughs> Page 100 is a pretty striking image, not only just for the color, but of course, this gentleman's face. What's the story behind this photograph? Yeah, so this was in Morocco. Um, and it, it was such a hard place to shoot um, culturally, just being mindful. What do you mean? Well, because people didn't like having their photo taken. And I think that was mm. due to their culture. Um, so mm. 
again, you didn't, sometimes you didn't even have to touch your camera. They just knew and, and just did not want their photo taken. So it was a total, totally different shooting experience. Whereas from being in London where you could just, you can just walk around and shoot. Um, there in, in Morocco, you just had to be very careful. Um, but I, I managed to get a couple of shots of this guy on, on two different days. Um, and his face to me is just in, amazing. Um, and I love that frayed little bit in his hat. That's my favorite bit. <laughs> um, but just, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, um, the lines on his face and uh, yeah, he's just, he's amazing. But I actually prefer this shot in black and white, even though it's in color in my book. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you that because so much of your work is, is black and white, which is stunning. Did this just feel better in, in color just because of, the place that you were, that there's so much color in this image? Yes, I think, yeah, with someone like Morocco and somewhere like India as well, I think it you, hmm. you had to you have to put the images into color um, because they are so vibrant. Um, I mean, but I just, I love black and white for this nostalgic feel. And um, sometimes I think it just takes away that distraction and draws you into the person more. Interesting. I, I think that the color does add a lot here but it it does take on a different story it's the same image but in black and white it mm -hmm. just has different character yeah but there's another example of that on the following page with on page 102 and 103 these little ones look so happy yeah yeah this see this wouldn't have worked in black and white i feel like this has to be color and this picture makes me smile whenever if i'm having a bad day i'll look at this picture <laughs> seriously because they're so happy um just just mm. like joy just joy in their faces and again that was this was in um this was in morocco um in a quieter area to the kind of main square and and these two look we I, we sat down i was with two other friends and we sat down and these two little girls were just next to us and i just i just took two shots um and i wish i'd taken more but again it was being mindful of their moms were close by, so I didn't want to push my luck. <laughs> well, you captured a great moment there. It's really, really sweet. On page 106, Lucy, you don't have a lot of shots in the book with people looking directly in, as portraits at least. And this gentleman is is looking directly into your camera. What's the story behind this image? Yeah, so I, and I very rarely ask people for their photos because I feel like it breaks, okay. it breaks that spell for me of just being mm. a candid moment. Um, but this guy, he again, he's, he's in Morocco. He's not too far from where I shot the little girls. And because Morocco was so hard to shoot in, just candidly, just picking up your camera and just shooting people, we found out that we, when we were there, we had to talk to people and just say hello. And they were, became more engaging okay. and they'd look up um, and someone would have a really sad face. Like you'd see them looking at their hands or doing something look really miserable but if we said hello or bonjour um they looked up and their faces transformed um and this guy i said hello to him and um he was looking down he, he looked really grumpy but then i said hello he looked up and i said <laughs> i just said photo and he nodded and i just took again one shot well he looks very charming he his face is amazing <laughs> again there's yeah. just so much character but you being friendly opened open that door for that for that quick interaction. And I think yeah. that makes all the difference rather than trying to just, you know, be anonymous and take photos of people and make them feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. That that helped create a, a, a quick connection for mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Yeah. On page 111, is a shot of some incredible hands here, Lucy. Can you read this caption for us and, and tell us the story about these hands? Yes. He noticed me, then asked, why do you take photos? To empty my head and make sense of the world around me, I replied. And that's actually a true, that was a conversation that me and this guy had because he, he saw me oh, taking Oh, really? Photos. Yeah, so he saw me taking photos and he said, why? Um, and I replied to empty my head and make sense of the world around me. Yeah, and we had a conversation afterwards. So we sat and chatted afterwards just about life. <laughs> See, and those are the benefits of travel, right? Yeah, yeah. On page 118, I'm trying to figure out if this woman is upset with you or is she upset with her spouse that she kind of just let walk ahead of her? <laughs> What's the story here? Yeah, so this was in Catania um, in Sicily and I was with James okay. and uh, we'd been walking for hours. I'd made him walk for hours and I... I we, I wasn't even consciously taking a photo of her. I just picked up my camera, from, again, having my hand on the shutter. And she just, it was like she knew and she turned back and just gave me this look. And I like, yeah, I like to think that that's her husband walking off, <laughs> that he's had enough. <laughs> but I feel maybe like she had enough of him. Maybe. I feel like this, you're transported back to like years ago. It wasn't taken just a couple of years ago. I feel like, you know, you've been transported back to, I don't know, at least 10 or 15 years ago. There's just something really old about it. I agree. It, it, it does look older than it is. That's for sure. On pages 124 and 125, Lucy, there's just stunning light and shadow, of course, but I feel like I can hear voices and I can hear bicycles and there is a certain intensity to this photo, that's for sure, but in in the best way. Yeah, again, Morocco in the main square. Um, and yeah, I mean, I look at it now and I just think, just wow, all those people. Um, and it is, right. it is, it's so intense when you're down there. You've got snake charmers, people with monkeys, um, people wanting to draw <laughs> henna on you. Um, and just, mm. yeah, just people trying to sell you all manner of things. And you're, you're actually rubbing shoulders with people. Um, so that feels weird now. It's like this huge significance of not being able to get close to someone and staying two meter distance. And mm. yeah, for me, this is, I mean, it was only a few years ago. <laughs> I mean, do you think you'll be able to take a photograph like this again? I mean, certainly right now during lockdown and our, our point of view is very limited, but hopefully there will be a return to busy markets and vibrancy that, that gives us such satisfaction, not only visually, but just for purpose in life, I, seeing people going to the market. Mm -hmm. I think so. I mean, I think it might take a while. Um, I mean, I can't mm -hmm. imagine this square devoid of life, like how London is right now, because people sleep on these streets um, and it was never, ever quiet. So I can't imagine this main square with no one in it. Um, and so, yeah, I just hope, I hope we do get back to something like this again. 
I mean, you just brought up an interesting point. This square with no people is just a square. And honestly, it's, it's very similar to all of the window shots and the reflections that you shoot. These coffee shops, even if, even if they're famous locations, and in some cases they are, you know, they're, they're destinations for, for tourists and for locals to go and have a remarkable cup of coffee. But they aren't anything without the people, truly. No, no, not at all. Yeah, not at all. I mean, I, ha I have a fear of missing out of all these stories right now, but then there are no people to go and take pictures of. So um, it's a battle I'm having with myself right now because I'm like, I want to go out and take pictures. But when I right. do go out, there's nobody there. <laughs> and there's no satisfaction for you in terms of shooting a reflection, let's say, or going to a similar location and seeing it empty or looking into the coffee shop and seeing it empty is, is it just too sad it is sad yeah yeah for me it is sad it's, it's my own reflection looking back at me <laughs> um <laughs> it's good for a selfie but it's not really a story <laughs> that's interesting yeah well that brings me back right to where you talked about you being so curious about people and what people give you and that sense of belonging, even if it's sort of confrontational at first, you're able to say, hello, would it be okay if I took a photograph of you? You know, and that's an incredible experience that right now we're not able to have. Yeah. And we keep dreaming about, and yeah. it's hopefully sooner than later. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Lucy, on page 135, I'm pretty sure there's a story here. Oh yeah, I, this is, oh, I love this man. <laughs> um, I used to see him a lot, um, just going to have a coffee and smoke a cigarette. And uh, mm. I remember, you know, I remember this, when I took, like I took a few photos of his hands, but I remember being so scared. I'm kind of, and I can actually see myself now just like edging closer and closer. Um, right. Because I think it was quite early on when I was taking pictures of, of people's hands and being close to people. And I remember just like pretending there was something wrong with my camera and just kind of edging and edging. Um, and I just took some fact and I just love, I just was so curious with these tattoos. And I took a picture of his face, but I'm never going to share it because I just love the mystery um, of just seeing his hands. Um, and yeah, and I haven't seen him. So I used to see him quite a bit. And I know the people in the coffee shop used to see him quite a bit as well, because uh, I've shown them the photos of his hands. And we haven't seen him. So I feel like he's an, he's definitely an unfinished story. But um, who knows that I might see or I might not. I love how you use the word mystery, because I think there is intrigue by not seeing the whole person. You could clearly have backed up and shown his entire body, his face. But I think through cropping with the image, you're only seeing part of the story and there's actually more intrigue there than seeing the full figure. Yeah, yeah. And just wondering about why he has love and amen and the tattoos he has on his hands. Well done, Lucy. Congratulations, your, your book is, is absolutely beautiful. And I guess I would ask a question just in terms of photography. What does it mean to you now that you've had a chance to kind of reflect and talk about the book again? 
What does photography mean to you and your life? Yeah, I, uh, it's a best friend, I think. Um, it's something that's mine. Um, I think everybody needs something that is theirs to own. And, and photography mm. is, you know, it makes me happy. Um, it's, I can do, I do it for me and it's a satisfying kind of feeling to just be able to pick up my camera and to be on my own. And it, it's, it makes sense, for me, it, it helps me to make sense of the world around me um, and the people around me and also myself. I think as my work grew, I grew as a person um, mm. and being able to take these photos and make sense of the world around me, I was making sense of myself and learning to understand who I was as a person. I think about how you describe yourself as, as a young girl, as a young woman, you know, in search of confidence, you were you were shy, and not to be dramatic, but did did photography change your life? Did it give you a voice that you perhaps would not have without it? Yeah, as cheesy as it sounds, it, yeah, it did. It, I think it saved me from I don't know what. <laughs> um, but yeah, without sounding too melodramatic, um, it did change my life and. I learned to like myself and um, I learned to, I, I think I, I enjoy my own company more than I ever did um, and I like myself more as a person um, a lot more now that I do have photography and I am able to, to own it. Are you surprised at all by who you are now? I mean you're speaking in front of groups, you've made presentations to Sony and to other universities and photography schools across London and across the world with global audiences viewing. Are you surprised at, at your ability now to communicate and, and share your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I still have times, Terry, when I'm like, did I do that? <laughs> like, did I just do that? Um, because the Lucy before wouldn't all, she would have hidden the ladies' toilet <laughs> to get away from any kind of presenting. Um, and that's no lie. <laughs> I would have, I hid under the table, definitely. Um, I would shy away from any kind, of, even presenting to my own work colleagues, I remember, I didn't want to do it because, and they were, they were people I knew. Um, so yeah, I'm so surprised of the person I am now. And I, and I, I think it was just, I think it was just finding something that I enjoyed that made me giddy, sort of giddy with excitement and uh, to go out and do for myself and um, to own it, to own my own story. Lucy, it's been great catching up with you today. I really appreciate your time and sharing all of your beautiful work and beautiful words as well as thoughts and inspiration with us. Until we can travel again, which I can tell you London will be at the top of our list. I can't wait to see you in person again. Please tell your family hello from our trope family to you. We wish you all the best. Oh, thank you, Terry, and take care. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to our conversation with Lucy Hamidzada, who can be found on Instagram. You can subscribe to Trope Stories wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Trope Reader, find us at trope.com, or on YouTube at Trope Publishing Co., where you can see the video version of this interview. This episode was executive produced by Sam Landers and Terry Mayday, camera and audio Oscar Ayella, 
production engineer Jeremy Garco, editorial Mayday Productions, music by Universal Production Music, location footage directed by Terry Mayday. Trout Publishing Company is a platform for creators, storytellers, and imaginative business minds. Creative director Scott Yanzi, producer Lindy Sinclair, designer Jack Van Boom, and marketing by Hannah Kopak. You've been listening to Trope Stories.